Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today we're pleased to speak to Brother Sadat Anwar. How are you, Sadat? Alhamdulillah, Brother Bassam. Assalamu alaikum. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well. Brother Sadat is from Toronto, Canada. He holds a master's degree in Middle Eastern Studies from the University of Toronto. He has been active in Dawa for over two decades and is part of the Muslim Debate Initiative and Street Dawa Toronto. He has a YouTube channel called That Canadian Brother, which I have linked to in the description box below. Now, there is an ongoing debate among environmental scientists and philosophers regarding population control. You know, is, is the world's population growing at an alarming rate to the Earth's peril and doom, whereby the world's resources cannot sufficiently cater to such a great number of human beings? Or are these fears misplaced and misinformed? Moreover, how should we as Muslims approach this subject from an Islamic perspective? Inshallah, we hope to benefit from Brother Sadat, who will be shedding some light on these questions from an Islamic paradigm. Brother Sadat, whenever you're free, the floor is all yours. Well, thank you very much, uh, Bassam. So I, I initially had started preparing this presentation uh, for an invitation to a lecture, which was entitled, like the theme was given to me, and the theme was, it, this, this sounds very open-ended. The Great Reset versus the Great Revival. Can Islam bring victory in the battle of ideas about humanity and truth? So this was so open-ended, I thought, okay, it sounds like I can speak on any topic, basically, <laughs> any social challenge, any social obstacle, and how Islam might potentially address that. Uh, but at the same time, it also sounded so epic uh, that I thought, no, let me try to do some justice to this. And so, alhamdulillah, eventually I was inspired to uh, look into this issue of the depopulation of the earth, uh, not overpopulation, uh, which is what we're used to thinking of, uh, maybe because some of us hail from countries that do have a bit of an overpopulation problem in the cities, uh, but depopulation or unpopulation, which is actually uh, the main concern uh, of many experts when it comes to the coming decades in the next century. Um, so just coming back to this term, the Great Reset, just for a second, um, this was a term that first popped up during COVID. It was first used quite innocuously uh, by the World Economic Summit to refer to their post-pandemic uh, economic recovery plan. But on social media, on the internet, as you know, things take a life of its own. Uh, many conspiracy theorists uh, grasped onto this term and made it synonymous with a global conspiracy by the rich elites of the world. Uh, a conspiracy to do what? To rob us of our civil rights, our personal freedoms, to limit our mobility rights, to put small businesses out of business, to enrich the large corporations, and interestingly, for our purposes, to radically reduce the human population. To radically reduce the human population. Now, what I'm going to try to show in my simple presentation in the first half is that um, you don't have to subscribe to the conspiracy version of the, of the Great Reset Theory. Uh, 
to see population decline as a genuine concern. Uh, you don't have to be uh, some kind of white nationalist. You don't have to be a conspiracy nut. You don't have to be a right wing guy to recognize that this is a concern and in fact, a common human concern. And I would add that this is part of our fitra and part of our nature, Bassam, that we should be concerned about the survival of the human species Absolutely. and the successful propagation of the human species. Um, coming back to COVID, I would be surprised if there's anyone listening uh, to this interview right now who didn't think to themselves at least once at the beginning of COVID that, uh, is this it? Is, is this how humanity is going to get wiped out? Is, is COVID going to, is this going to finish humanity? And if it doesn't completely wipe humanity out, how much of my family is going to get killed by this? Uh, how many of the brothers at the mosque? How many of my fellow students at university? How many, how many of my work colleagues? How many people in my building are going to get wiped out by this? So this is a natural concern of the human being, the successful survival and propagation of the human species. Uh, so uh, I'll start then with uh, a slide presentation, which I hope uh, the audience will be able to follow here. And on this very first slide that I'm bringing us to, and, and you can see that now, right, Bassam? Yeah, perfect. Okay, so this is just one map. You could pull out many such uh, maps and graphs from the internet. Uh, this shows the countries with a declining population. Uh, in the year 2023, uh, yeah, you've got Japan, you, you've got a couple of uh, small places in like Central America, but uh, it, it's mostly uh, Eastern Europe. It's mostly Eastern Europe that has a declining population. Now, don't confuse declining population uh, with declining birth rates because Western Europe, which is the countries we're used to thinking of, like France and Germany, England, also North America, they all have declining birth rates. But the reason that America and Canada and Western Europe doesn't have a declining population is because of the constant influx of immigrants, the constant influx of reinforcements uh, that are coming into Western Europe and into North America. Uh, Eastern Europe and Japan don't have pro-immigration policies. And for other various cultural economic reasons, Bassam, uh, you and I, um, or Muslim immigrants in the West, or our parents who immigrated to the West, didn't choose to go to Estonia. They didn't choose to immigrate to the Czech Republic or Slovakia. Uh, they chose... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Other, uh, you know, uh, what, uh, other Western countries that had better economies. And so that is why Eastern European countries already have declining populations. All right. Uh, now, Bassam, some of what I speak about does have racial and ethnic implications to it. Europe, we're talking about 
white Europeans in Eastern mm-hmm. Europe. We're talking about white Europeans in Western Europe and in North America who have uh, the, you know, the largest or the fastest declining birth rates. And there will be racial implications of that as uh, we will see. So this, the second slide here is a list of the top 15 countries with the lowest fertility rates, meaning births per woman. Uh, this is according to the World Bank 2021. I know you love your research to be really up to date, Bassam, but hey, 2021, uh, good enough, good enough, uh, uh, inshallah, for, for, for <laughs> inshallah. most of us here. So uh, yeah, number one, South Korea, which is 0.9 children per woman. So mm-hmm. uh, just to explain this, it's probably self-explanatory, but obviously a woman cannot or doesn't usually give birth to 0.9 children. Yeah. Uh, this means on average, average women yeah. in South Korea uh, give birth to 0.9 children. Mm. Um, uh, we got then Puerto Rico. We've got Hong Kong. M- number four, Malta, which is in Europe. Uh, Singapore, uh, Macau, Ukraine, which is in Europe. Spain, which is in Europe. Bosnia, which is in Europe. San Marino, which is in Europe. Moldova, Europe. Italy, Europe. Andorra, Europe. Cyprus, Europe. Luxembourg, Europe. So again, there are racial, ethnic, civilizational, linguistic implications uh, of this data. And again, just to explain, I hope the audience understands why um, women in countries need to have at least an average of two children just in order to replace the population Mm. if you don't have outside immigrant help. Uh, because obviously, you know, there's a father and a mother. One day they will pass away. They will leave this earth. They need two children to replace them. So you need to have at least two children on average per couple for uh, population replacement. And you need an average of 2.1 children per couple for actual population growth. Before I go to the next slide, which is going to be the countries with the highest fertility rates, I want people in the audience just to you know, take a minute and just start guessing in their minds, start taking a guess uh, at what uh, those countries might be. Uh, and I might quiz you, Bassam. I know you had a quick look at the slide. Let's see how good your memory is. What, 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 name, me, name me a couple of those countries, at least. Um, I'll definitely say that would be a good number of African countries, right? May Nigeria right. and Somalia. Okay. All right. All right. So, okay, we're going, going to the next slide now. Uh, this is just the top uh, 10 countries mm. with the highest fertility rates, meaning the most births per woman. Uh, I'll just go back here for a second, just to acknowledge uh, something you pointed out in South Korea, by the way, uh, as of February 2023, the data shows that it's fallen even more uh, mm. in South Korea, which is number one there on this list. Uh, the, the average uh, children per woman has dropped to 0.78 children. Yeah. And so South Korea has the distinction of being the only country so far uh, that has less than one child per couple. So uh, unless they change something, uh, the the population of that country is going to decline quite quickly in the coming uh, decades, in the coming century. So now here we are, the top 10 countries with the highest fertility rates. Number one, Niger. Wow. At 6.8 children per woman. Somalia, you're right. Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, because there's two Congos. We have Mali, we have Chad, we have Angola, Burundi, 
Nigeria, Gambia, Burkina Faso. All right. Now, before some of the ladies or yeah, some I, of I the mean, I mean, even the, the interesting thing here is, is that, you know, um, I mean, uh, uh, not not only are all these countries or the bulk of them um, African, but also ba African with black, uh, black populations. So it's, it's not even North African, North African. Uh, here, or, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I will come back to that. I'll come back to the African uh, angle on this. Mm. Um, so Nigeria is going to say before any of the ladies or feminists start feeling sorry for the women in Niger, uh, when they polled women in Niger, they actually the women there actually wanted uh, an average of nine children. Uh, they wanted to have nine children. So they're actually aiming or hoping or aspiring for more. Uh, the men on average wanted 11 children. So yeah, different culture, different values, whatever. Um, so now let's look at this. Apart from them being African, uh, hopefully people will also notice that a lot of these countries, in fact, most of them are what? They're Muslim. So Niger is 98% Muslim. Mm. Somalia is 99% Muslim. I'm surprised it's not 100%, eh, Bassam? Have you ever met an, an, a non-Muslim Somali? Yeah, yeah. A Catholic uh, Somali. I'm uh, not talking about some apostate somewhere in New York, but have you ever met a yeah. Catholic Somali? But apparently, yeah, I'm not, there not are sure. Some... It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Number three, Congo, which is mostly Christian. Mm. That's 70% uh, Christian. I suspect, I suspect that they are more religious Christian than the average German, that mm. they are more religious Christian than the average uh, Frenchman. Uh, because I do believe, obviously, that religion is a variable here that is at play. Uh, uh, Mali, 95% Muslim. Chad, 52% Muslim. Angola is Christian and Burundi is Christian. Nigeria, 51% Muslim. Gambia, 95% Muslim. Burkina Faso, 63% Muslim. So seven out of the 10 countries are majority Muslim. And in fact, Four out of the top five uh, countries with the highest fertility rates are Muslim. Mm. Now, coming back to your observation that they are uh, uh, mostly African, uh, uh, largely West African, Central African. Um, and also, it can be pointed out that these are uh, economically developing countries. So please understand, Bassam, I am not arguing and I'm not going to argue that Islam is the only variable at play here. Mm -hmm. Islam is the only reason people here are producing large families. Religion is the only reason they want to have a lot of children. I'm not saying that. Uh, I, I acknowledge that there are other socio-cultural economic variables at play. However, in, in this presentation, I will argue that Islam uh, religion is a major variable. It is a major uh, factor because there are, after all, other developing African countries that are not Muslim. Mm. Uh, why didn't they make up the majority yeah. of the countries with the highest fertility rates? Why seven out of 10 being Muslim? Mm. So, yeah, when we say developing countries, Bassam, uh, they are developing countries in more ways than one. Uh, so in general, then, please understand that European and North American countries are suffering a native population uh, uh, decline. Okay. 
So aside from those uh, racial and ethnic uh, implications of all of this, because l- let's be frank, Bassam, if, if I was a white nationalist, I'd be a little bit concerned. I'd be a yeah. little bit worried right now, right? Uh, white population of the world declining, the brown and black population of the world increasing. But aside from these racial uh, implications and cultural implications of this data, there are general social and general economic considerations that should concern all of us. They should concern Bassam and Sadat. They should concern the black person, the white person, the Muslim, the non-Muslim. But uh, before I get to that, I I was going to share a few slides uh, that just show that, look, this is a real problem. This is not an imagined problem. This is not something that I uh, jumped up for some reason. This is something that is uh, reported by experts and by mainstream, you know, respectable uh, newspapers in the West. So we'll start with this slide here. The National Post, for those who don't know, is a mainstream uh, Canadian newspaper uh, their headline here, world population forecast to decline for the first time in centuries. Right. And it says, this is very interesting. The last time that global population declined was in the mid 14th century due to the Black Plague. I want you to rem- remember that, Bassam, uh, that this is a very modern, unique 21st century problem. So we are going to need a solution. We are going to need a system. We're going to need a teaching that is well-equipped to deal with very modern, unique 21st century problems. That same article says, I'll just read the second paragraph, up to 23 countries, including Japan, Thailand, Italy, Spain, Portugal, and South Korea, could see their populations decreased by 50% as a result of low birth rates and an aging population. This isn't some fringe, crazy conspiracy theorist on YouTube. This is National Post uh, reporting uh, based on the findings, of course, uh, of experts. Uh, I'll start from the middle of this one. Uh, Some countries, however, are forecasted to see an increase in population. Uh, North Africa, the Middle East, and Sub-Saharan Africa are estimated to triple in population from 1.03 billion in 2017 to 3.07 billion in the year 2100. The insider reports the great people shortage is coming and it's going to cause global economic chaos. The Pew Research Center, which we've all heard of, world's population is projected to nearly stop growing by the end of the century. This is a bit more of a a modest claim. Uh, BBC News, uh, fertility rate, jaw-dropping global crash in children being born. Uh, Just for your benefit, Bassam, and the benefit of of the listeners, so this article, BBC News, for example, these are all quoting experts, right? So BBC News, for example, is basing, it's basing this report on uh, researchers at the University of Washington Institute for health metrics uh, and evaluation, right? Um, And so they say that the global uh, uh, birth rate is going to fall below 1.7 by the year 2100. 
there it is. Yeah, University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. So the, these these newspapers are all basing it on some kind of uh, research data, academic academic data. Uh, so less and less children being born. Uh, Bassam, I just recently did a tour of 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 uh, Western Canada. I don't see babies. Honestly, I don't see babies. I'm seeing more dogs than I'm seeing babies. Yeah. Uh, it could be the cold, but what about the grocery shops? What about the shopping malls? Uh, what about at the airport? When I get out at the airport, whether it's Saskatoon, Edmonton, wherever, one of the first things you see is like a pet refreshing center. Don't ask me what that is exactly, but it's called a pet refreshing center. I don't need a shower immediately as I come off of the airplane. I'm not sure why a dog does, but at one of these airports, I saw from a distance, I saw a white lady holding a baby. And I thought, oh, okay, this, this kind of goes against my general observation. But as I came closer, it was a paper cutout. It was a cardboard cutout of, oh, no. of a woman holding a baby. <laughs> and that, that too, it, it was an advertisement by the government for like uh, uh, promoting breastfeeding uh, mm. or, 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 or something like this. So one of the things, Bassam, I'm trying to say, I mean, I'm not here to preach per se, but I really want young Muslims to reflect on this as well too. Young Muslims in the West who are getting caught up in materialism or careerism to really kind of think about this. Um, I want the, the young brothers uh, uh, listening to this to be family people, to be parents. Uh, I, I, I encourage the young ladies watching this, be family people, be family people. Don't end up as a cat lady. Uh, you know, pets are wonderful and I love animals, but they cannot replace children. Pets cannot replace children. But if you think they can, and if you're going to refrain uh, 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 from marriage, then here's a bit of extra data that you should know, which is uh, the longest living dog breeds. Bassam, this guy in the middle, he's got the highest you know, uh, uh, age span, which is 12 to 16 years. Wow. This guy is not going to be around to, he, he can't fill in the, the, the labor shortage. This guy is not going to take care of you when you're old. This guy's not going to deliver your Uber Eats. This guy's not going to keep the hospitals open at nighttime. Pets are wonderful, but they cannot replace people. This guy plus his grandchildren are not going to be around to take care of you when you're old. All right. And for the sisters, the cats. So uh, what, I wanted to, uh, uh, what I wanted to say at this point is uh, that I was saying earlier that uh, Aside from the racial ethnic implications and concerns of this, there are general social and economic considerations that we should all think about and be concerned with. What are they? Uh, in a nutshell, uh, they are a shortage in the labor force, uh, a growth in the age dependency ratio, which basically means, uh, you know, there's too many old people to support. Uh, too many old people, uh, far few uh, young people, like an inverted pyramid, uh, who is going to support the social programs for the elderly, the hospital bills, the medical bills? Um, who is going to do all of that? This, of course, is going to uh, result in rising taxes, rising taxes, because you have a smaller young labor force that has to support more and more social programs, as well as the general infrastructure of the country. Uh, there is less people paying taxes. So, of course, they have to be taxed more. This could result in a um, this could result in a uh, loss in technology and innovation uh, because, for example, Bassam, like the person who invented Zoom, 
the person who invented YouTube, the person who invented the electric car, um, if his parents had an anti-natalistic way of thinking, if they were against childbirth or they wanted to really limit the number of children, perhaps those inventors would not have been born. Mm. Perhaps we would not have some of these beneficial inventions and technology that we have today, or uh, humanity would have to wait perhaps much longer before uh, we, we can benefit from those things. And finally, um, I'll, I'll just switch back uh, to, to the camera for a minute. You see me now, I think. Yeah. Because I got a picture of cats and I'm talking about other things. <laughs> uh, in addition to all of these problems, Bassam, quite possibly a uh, country or countries can fall into what is called a low fertility trap. A low fertility trap, which means that once the birth rates fall below 2.0, it's very difficult to reverse this trend. Mm. It is very difficult to motivate and incentivize young people to want to have two children or more. And mm. there's a number of other social reasons for that. Mm. Uh, one of which is when you look around and all your friends and everybody around you has one child or two, child, you tend to have uh, yeah. less children as well. And again, imagine rising taxes, imagine lo longer working hours. So on a materialistic worldview, at least yeah. on a purely economic worldview, why would I ever want to have uh, four children? So a low fertility trap, and they don't know how to reverse that. They don't know how to uh, reverse that. In South Korea, in Japan, they've tried you know, throwing money at the problem yeah, because yeah. this is the only way their mind operates. Mm -hmm. In a materialistic economic uh, you know, paradigm or a worldview, your, your mind doesn't think beyond that. Well, let's throw money at the problem. Yeah, please have some children. We'll, we'll give you some money. In wow. Canada, we have what used to be called the baby bonus. I think it's called the child tax credit. Now, please, we'll, we'll, we'll give you some money. Would you have some children? Right? Uh, it's not working. It's not working. Right? Um, uh, so I have looked into this, the subsidized daycares in South Korea, they're trying, it hasn't worked. Um, so these are, uh, some of the concerns. However, these are just concerns I'm sharing from a secular materialistic standpoint. Mm. What are some additional concerns, Bassam, that you and I might have as religious people, yeah. uh, from an Islamic, from a spiritual point of view, a point of view, well, some of those concerns are. Uh, that are we suppressing a natural God-given gift? Yeah. Are we robbing ourselves of family? Are we robbing ourselves of children? So this is a potential concern for us specifically as Muslims, mm. perhaps as Christians and Jews as well. Uh, a possible loss in social cohesion and trust. Less social bonds and less social trust. How so? Because now we'll be living in a world like in China where... There's, there might be many uh, single child families, and so they don't have brothers. They don't have sisters, right? What does that mean for the next generation? That means a whole new generation that doesn't have uncles, that doesn't yeah. have aunties. And cousins. You visit yeah. your cousins. Yeah. Is it not the case, Bassam? Yeah. yeah. You come here, you hook up with your cousins, you have a good time. No, no cousins. Cancel them out of your imagination. They're gone. The mm. uncles and aunties are gone. So again, this is also suppressing uh, a God-given gift of family. Um, and then another possible concern from our religious perspective could be that um, there will be less people on this earth praising Allah subhanahu yes. wa ta'ala. Less people worshipping God and singing the praises of God. And in the Quran, Allah says, Ma khalaktul jinna wal insa illa li I only created you, the jinn spirits and the human beings to praise me and to worship me. So the question arises, if there's less people on this earth 
are we uh, are we being optimal? Are we actually fulfilling the purpose with which we were created? And if all of this doesn't speak to the audience, then I would make a very personal, emotional appeal uh, to individuals to just think about the reality, the possibility of you living your life without children. And are you ready to deal with the emotional and psychological implications and ramifications of that in the years to come. So uh, this is basically the problem, Basam. I, I hope I've, uh, you know, in a nutshell, explained it yes. uh, clearly. Uh, that's the bad news, but there's good news as well too. And the good news is that there are solutions. There is a solution to this confusion, right? Um, and honestly, the West is confused and Western countries are very confused on a number of issues, right? Um, let me go back here to the slide presentation. In the West, basic questions that we had resolved in the past are now open questions. We're confused. Should, should we have kids first? If we do have kids, should we have kids first? Uh, or should we get married first? Uh, what is marriage? Uh, what is family? In fact, what is a man? What is a woman? There's no answers to any of this. There's no answers to any of these uh, questions. But Islam has answers for this. So Islam, of course, says uh, marriage first. And I, I didn't share the data because I didn't want to make this presentation too long, Bassam, but there's plenty of research that shows, even in Western non-Muslim societies, that it is generally marriages that produce children. Married couples tend to produce more children than boyfriend-girlfriend uh, relationships. So if we are going to have a comprehensive system or worldview uh, that knows how to incentivize and encourage the having of children, it must also address marriage and incentivize and encourage marriage as well. So that's why I'm slightly digressing and sharing a few slides which contain ahadith, uh, sayings of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam that in fact incentivize and encourage marriage. Uh, but of course, it's better to start with the Quran, uh, chapter 30, verse 21, the translation of which uh, God says, and of his signs is that he created from you, uh, from yourselves mates, spouses, that you may find tranquility in them. And he placed between you affection and mercy. Indeed, in that are signs for a people who give thought. All right. Um, so uh, the marital bond and the love and affection that is found in marriage is actually referenced by God as one of his signs, one of his miracles. Like, how does that happen? How do two complete strangers who have no blood relationship, how do they become so close that when the husband dies, the wife might shed more tears for her dead husband than for her dead brother okay. and vice versa? How, how does that happen? Right. Uh, so this is truly, you know, one of the miracles of God, which is referenced in the Quran as, as a miracle. Um, Here's a hadith narrated Sahal bin Saad that the Prophet wasallam said to a man, marry, get married, even with a marriage gift equal to an iron ring, right? Mm -hmm. In the West, people are refraining from marriage because, you know, who's got $20,000, $30,000 to, to spend on a big banquet in a hotel, uh, in a hotel uh, banquet hall? Uh, but the Prophet, peace be upon him, notice is facilitating marriage. He's making marriage easy for people. Young men, don't try this today. Don't try to get married by giving an iron ring as, as, as a marriage <laughs> gift. We, we, yeah, we got to contextualize this within uh, the time of the Sahaba. Essential clarification there. 
it's because I've been asked to clarify this. So contextualize this within the the the, the time of the Sahaba, and uh, people had very few belongings. You know, people could count sometimes on one hand or two hands how many things they owned. Something that we we would never be able to do that. So in that context, but the point remains, and the spirit of the teaching remains, which is that live within your means. Live within your means. You don't have to be rich to get married. Also narrated by Sahal ibn Saad, I was among the people when a woman said, I offer myself in marriage to you, O messenger of Allah. See what you think of me. A man stood up and said, marry her to me instead. The prophet said, go and find something, even if it is an iron ring. So the man went, but he could not find anything, not even an iron ring. So the messenger of Allah said, do you have memorized any part of the Quran? The man said, yes. So the prophet married him to the woman on the basis of what he knew of the Quran. So even sacred knowledge can be, can, might suffice uh, as a marriage gift. Narrated Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, that Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, O oh, young men, those of you who can support a wife should marry, for marriage controls the gaze and preserves one from immorality. And whoever cannot marry should fast, for it is a means of reducing sexual desire. Uh, now, now, okay, we, sorry, yeah. okay, now, now here, here is a Quranic ayah that, uh, again, incentivizes the having of children, or at least not killing, uh, children in the Quran chapter six, 151, kill not your children because of poverty. We provide sustenance for you and for them, uh, in a very similar verse in the, in chapter 17, and do not kill your children for fear of poverty. We will provide for them and for you. Indeed, their killing is ever a great sin. Um, so this might have implications for abortion as well. That's a separate topic. Mm -hmm. But you can imagine in uh, pre-modern uh, 7th century Arabia, families having babies. And like, how are we going to feed this baby? How are we going to feed us? Mm -hmm. uh, which is the, the situation in the first verse. God says, God is the provider. Be optimistic. Do not kill your children. That is a sin. So, um, and there are some nuanced differences, of course, uh, between these verses, which I won't uh, get into right now. Uh, back to the hadiths, Abu Huraira reported that the messenger of Allah, may Allah bless him and grant him peace, said, when a person dies, all action is cut off for him with the exception of three things. Charity, which continues, Sadaqa Jariya, knowledge, which benefits or a righteous child who makes supplication for him. A righteous child that prays for you, that prays for your soul after you've died. Notice, Basam, your dog is not going to pray for you after you die. Your cat is not going to pray for you after you die. Your, your pet parakeet, your rabbit, they're not going to make fatiha for you. Only a righteous child can do that. So on our religious, spiritual worldview, it is even more the case mm. that animals, as wonderful as they are, they cannot replace Children. Absolutely. Abu Sayyid al Khudri narrated that the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, said, Whoever has three daughters, so this is not just for sons, whoever has three daughters, or three sisters, or two daughters, or two sisters, and he keeps good company with them. He takes care of them. He's kind to them. He's soft to them. He's he keeps good company with them, and he fears Allah regarding them, regarding their rights, then paradise is for him. Basam, you tell me. It's a rhetorical question, of course. But can the atheist say this to his atheist wife? That, darling, honey, you know, I, it would be wonderful if we had three daughters because that, that could be the key to paradise for us. 
Definitely not. The atheist doesn't have this. The agnostic doesn't have this. The deist doesn't have this. Only Islam has this. So uh, as we as we continue to progress through these slides, Basam, let me make it very clear. I'm making a very tall claim. I'm making the claim that it is Islam and Islam alone that is uniquely positioned, that is uniquely equipped to provide the antidote to antinatalism, to provide the solution for population decline in the coming decades. Only Islam. This is my challenge, and this is all the evidence that I'm producing. And I'm asking the audience, I'm asking the rhetorical question, does Christianity have this? Will we find hadiths like this in the Bible with respect? Will we find this in uh, General Mao's red communist book? Will we find this in Karl Marx's communist manifesto? Will we find this in any um, LGBTQ textbook? No, we will not find this kind of incentive and encouragement except in the deen of Islam. Uqba bin Amir said, I heard the messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, say, whoever has three daughters and is patient towards them and feeds them, gives them to drink and closes them from his wealth, they will be a shield for him from the fire on the day of resurrection. These daughters will be a barrier and a protection for him from the hellfire on the day of resurrection. This is answering all of those, those questions about, you know, why would I want to have three, four kids when it means more economic sacrifices, mm. longer hours at work, mm. right? Um, I'm paying taxes on their behalf as well. Like, why would I want to have children? Here is Islam providing spiritual otherworldly incentives for why we should want to have children. Muslims who have conviction in their religion. Uh, Muslims who are people who trust the words of the Prophet, peace be upon him, can be incentivized and encouraged through this means, through this mechanism, through this teaching of wanting to have uh, more children. And, and you know, and, and, and I would also say that please, you know, please, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, I want for many here. Muslims, for many Muslims, you know, we also believe in this, uh, you know, idea that you know, as we get more children, um, that you know, uh, even barakah in the dunya sense increases for us. I mean, uh, just anecdotally speaking to so many people, you know, subhanallah, that you know, what, once they get, uh, you know, uh, get, get a new child, um, you know, they get a job promotion, or they find a new job, they get a new job offer, uh, subhanallah. So, you know, it, 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 we, we also, you know, don't want people to think that, you know, necessarily getting more children means less dunya barakah. You know, uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala could you know bless and uh, you know bless you even in, in the dunya sense as as you uh, put your trust in Him and also you know want to w willingly increase the size of the ummah by having more children. Uh, you know, uh, and and you want to you know cultivate them to have a you know a very positive Islamic upbringing. So uh, the reward is not only uh, in the afterlife. Not only in the afterlife, uh, uh, though it's a, uh, I would say it's the more important primary driver, uh, as you're, uh, you know, as you're emphasizing here. But you know, even in the dunya sense, uh, there it brings barakah, it brings blessing in our lives. Absolutely, absolutely. And you and you anticipated where I'm going with this because uh, I will try to show that there are dunawi or worldly benefits of having children as well. These yeah. are just hadiths uh, which are emphasizing the otherworldly or spiritual uh, benefits of having children. But absolutely, you will experience barakah and blessings in this life as well. Uh, for those who have, let's say, uh, one or two children, imagine your life without that child. Imagine your life without that child. Um, 
Well, the same applies to three, four children, right? Uh, Just like that one child enriched your life, added a whole new dimension to your life. uh, Imagine then how three children and their personalities and their jokes and their love, how would that enhance uh, the, the, the dimensions of your life? How would that enrich your life? So just that, that's something to think about as well. Thank you. Um, and then uh, finally, in, an, in, another similar, uh, in another similar hadith about daughters, uh, Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu reported that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, anyone who has three daughters and provides for them, uh, closes them and shows mercy to them will definitely enter the garden, meaning heaven. A man from the people asked, and two daughters, O Messenger of Allah, and Prophet Muhammad said, and two also. Uh, you know, you reminded me, Bassam, you're talking about worldly benefits. So I have a very good friend uh, who has three daughters, actually, uh, and he doesn't have any sons. He doesn't have any sons. He's only got three daughters. Um, and this is a natural thing. There's nothing sexist or misogynist about it, that when you only have daughters, then you do want to have a son and vice versa. I don't have any daughters, for example, and I would love, I would absolutely love, I wish that I did uh, have a daughter, inshallah. So uh, this friend of mine, one day, he, he, he just looked at me, you know, he, he smiled and he said, Sadat, uh, tell me, what, what is it like to have a son? You know, doing father-son stuff and, and, and you know, guy stuff. And I was going to say, well, you know, your, your daughters are like real tomboys, man. They can rip my son apart, you know, but... Uh, so, uh, you know, I didn't, want, I didn't want to rub it in. I, I, I said, Alhamdulillah, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful to have a son. Yeah, we, we, we get to do a lot of father-son uh, guy activities or whatnot. Um, but then I consoled him. I mean, he already knows about this hadith. He didn't need this consolation. But I gave him a, more, a bit more of an immediate consolation. And I said, listen, bro, you know what? Um, you're going to be well taken care of in your old age, man. Three daughters, you will never be short of love. You will never be short of affection with three daughters. You know, I have to worry. I don't have any daughters, but you don't. When you're old, you have a cold. Someone's someone's turning up with a bowl of hot chicken soup for you when you have a cold between three daughters. So, you know, I don't want to say that men are less loving, but uh, but I will say that, you know, women oftentimes will express their love and their care and and, and their affection uh, in a way that perhaps sons cannot or often do not. So yeah, there's absolutely lots of worldly consolation and benefits, inshallah. Um, so uh, now just in general about children, not just daughters, um, uh, the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, whoever recites the Quran and acts according to what is in it, his parents will be crowned on the day of resurrection with a light brighter than the light of the sun in your worldly houses. Can an atheist ever have this incentive to want to have children that, well, maybe I'll get them to memorize some of the Quran or all of the Quran, become Hufad al-Quran, and uh, then whatever they recite and act according to, I will be reaping uh, uh, benefits in the next life uh, for that. An atheist is, it does not have this. The agnostic does not have this. The deist, the, the, the theist does not have this. Only Islam has this mechanism of teachings that incentivizes the having of children to this uh, degree. Uh, it was narrated from Aisha radiallahu anha that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, marriage is part of my sunnah, it's part of my personal example. And whoever does not follow my sunnah has nothing to do with me. Get married, for I will boast of your great numbers before the nations. Whoever has the means, let him get married, and whoever does not, then he should fast for it will diminish his desire. 
Basam, I have to go off on a bit of a dawa tangent here at this point because I couldn't resist. This statement of the Prophet, peace be upon him, get married for I will boast of your great numbers before the other nations on the day of judgment. I actually believe that we have underutilized sayings like this of the Prophet, peace be upon him, in our dawa work to non-Muslims. I see this as a prophecy. I see this as a fulfilled prophecy. Why? Because is it not the case? To, well, first of all, I already showed you the slide of the top 10 countries with the highest fertility rates. Mm -hmm. Seven out of 10 of them are, are Muslim. Uh, but is it not the case? Have we not all read in, 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 in mainstream newspapers or heard in mainstream media outlets that Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world? That, that's not Muslims making that claim. These are non-Muslim media outlets. Always, is it not the case that we've heard yeah. this? Islam is the fastest growing religion. So we know that, but, but how did he know that? How did Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, know that? Unless he was, in fact, a bona fide prophet of God. And uh, on a related note, again, I couldn't resist. Uh, the Independent, which of course is a British newspaper, uh, reported uh, that... Uh, now, this is back in 2014. Uh, the most popular baby names, the top 20 boys and girls uh, names in England and Wales. Oliver is on top. That sounds fishy, man. I didn't meet many Olivers when I was in England, I'll tell you. <laughs> but different spellings of Muhammad make it the most common. Mm. Different spellings of Muhammad. What does it mean, different spellings of Muhammad? Well, yeah. one thing we'll always have ikhtilaf on. Yeah, exactly. One thing, one thing we're never going to have unity on, uh, Brother Bassam, right? We're always going to have ikhtilaf on. And it's a good kind of ikhtilaf. It's fine. It's like, how do you spell Muhammad in, 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 in English? Uh, there doesn't seem to be one standardized uh, 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 method of that. So do we spell it with M-U or M-O? Uh, is there one M in the middle or two M's? It doesn't matter. When you combine the different spellings of Muhammad, it makes it the most common baby name in England and Wales, at least as of uh, 2014 and um, England we're talking about England Basam. we're not talking about Somalia we're not talking about Saudi Arabia we're not talking about England we're talking about England right so coming back again to the words of the prophet I will boast of your great numbers before the nations right this itself is something for non-Muslims really to reflect on and in my uh, humble opinion it's something that we should reflect on um, and this same article in The Independent goes on and says, Muhammad is thought to be the most popular name in the world, given to an estimated 150 million men and wow. boys. Right? Uh, so, I mean, process this, please understand this. We're not talking about in history. We're talking about like right now on the planet, it is estimated that there's about 150 million men and boys named Muhammad. That's more than the total number of Jews on the earth. By four or five times, that's more than the total number of Baha'is on the earth. That's more than the total number of Sikhs on the earth. There's more Muhammads on the earth than there are Jews. And this isn't something to reflect on. This is not something to think about. Uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his teachings are not something worthy of your time to research and to look into. If you are a non-Muslim, where are you at? Where are you at? So, uh, so now... Moving on from that, now I want to come to something that you brought up, Bassam, which is that uh, there's a lot of people who would say, okay, well, you know, the afterlife is a long while away. Uh, you know, talk to me about now. Talk to me about this world. Is there anything that I stand to gain? Is there any potential benefit I stand to gain in this life? 
for having more children. Um, and I would say absolutely there are benefits in this life. This is a photograph that went viral, of course, of one of the Moroccan uh, soccer players or football players uh, at FIFA. And I mean, this is something that really kind of stunned the world, like the amazing amount of respect uh, and reverence uh, that uh, Muslims have for their mothers uh, in in Muslim culture. But but what's the source of that? What's the religious source of that? Let's have a look. It was uh, narrated from Muawiyah uh, that uh, Jahima came to the Prophet and said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, I want to go out and fight in jihad, and I have come to ask your advice. He said, uh, Do you have a mother? He said, Yes. He said, Then stay with her, for paradise is beneath her feet. In other words, for the Muslims, service to their mother, to their elderly mother in their time of need is, is one of the avenues and one of the keys to paradise, right? Um, you know, the, the, so, so again, Islam kind of uh, elevates and reveres the status of parents and especially of the mother. The prophet, peace be upon him, he didn't say paradise lies at the feet of the neuroscientist. Paradise lies at the feet of the IT consultant. Paradise lies at the feet of the doctor, the engineer, this, that. No, paradise lies at the feet of the mother, right? Uh, narrated Abdullah ibn Amr, a man came to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, asking his permission to take part in jihad. The Prophet asked him, are your parents still alive? He replied in the affirmative. The Prophet said to him, then exert yourself in their service. It's more powerful in the Arabic, of course. Fafihima fajahid. You know, it's from the same root as jihad. Like you want to do jihad? Do that kind of jihad. Do that kind of exertion or struggle in the home by being patient with your elderly parents, by not getting annoyed or irritated by your elderly parents, by doing what they ask you to do in terms of chores and housework and whatnot. Right. So, uh, again, um, you know, this presentation is not about irresponsibly just having as many children as you can uh, and not raising them. Of course, it goes without saying that the proper tarbiyah, the proper Islamic moral upbringing uh, needs to be there uh, as well, of course. Um, Abdullah ibn Amr narrated that the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, the Lord's pleasure is in the parents' pleasure and the Lord's anger is in the parents' anger. It was narrated from Abdullah ibn Amr that a man came to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and said, I have come pledging to emigrate from Mecca to Medina to do the hijrah, and I have left my parents weeping. The Prophet said, go back to them and make them smile as you made them weep. You made them cry, go back now and make them laugh. Go and make them smile, right? Now, Basam, I am aware, but again, you know, time limits us. I am aware of counter arguments. I'm not naive. I do understand uh, that not every child ends up being an obedient child like this, right? Not every child is going to be righteous. Um, but, you know, if I were going to be stubborn or if this was a debate, I would say, that's all the more reason to have more children, because if you only have one or two, you can't count on them being obedient and taking care of you. If you have four or five, then between the four and five of them, they'll somehow manage to take care of you. A couple of them are going to step up to the plate and are going to take on that responsibility in a proper Islamic way. Hopefully all of them. Hopefully all of them. Um, the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, said the best of the deeds or deed is the observance of prayer at its proper time and kindness to parents. This one's not a Hadith Nabawi. Ibn Umar radiallahu an said, making parents weep is part of disobedience and one of the major wrong actions. Abu Huraira radiallahu an reported that Allah's messenger, peace be upon him, said, let him be humbled. Let him be humbled. It was asked of him, Allah's messenger, who should be humbled? 
the messenger of Allah said, he who finds his parents in old age, either one or both of them, and does not enter paradise. So just to clarify, maybe for non-Muslim viewers, this means again that why did you not exert yourself in service to your elderly parents? That would have been an easy way for you to get into paradise. Uh, as a Muslim, you didn't have to increase your voluntary prayers. You didn't have to go out on jihad and do this, that, and increase yourself. Just take care of your elderly parents. And you didn't manage to do that. How did you miss out on the opportunity for uh, paradise? You know, Basam, if I can just digress a little bit. Uh, when I went recently to Western Canada, I gave a couple of uh, lectures and stuff. And one of my very good friends here in Toronto, Muslim friend, of course, you know, he, he, he said to me, Sadat, um, that's very good, the dawah activities that you're doing and you're giving a lecture there, that, that, that's good stuff. But while you're chasing, his words, while you're chasing these little gold nuggets, don't forget about the mountain of gold that you have at home. He was oh. referring to my elderly mother, right? Basam, you're, wallahi, you're only going to get these reminders from your Muslim friends. You're, honestly, no matter how good your atheist friend is, no matter how noble, no matter how good, they, but they don't have this. They don't have this way of thinking. They don't have this mentality because they don't have this mechanism of teaching within their worldview or within their ideology. These kinds of reminders will always come from fellow Muslims. Right? And I appreciated that, that very timely reminder. Um, Basam, one of the major things that can sometimes be uh, a hurdle or a stumbling block for parents trying for a third child, fourth child, fifth child, is that by the time they reach that stage, uh, they've often lost uh, a child. You know, hopefully not a young child or infant. That used to happen a lot too. But the mother may have had a miscarriage, right? And now after that miscarriage, she's scared of trying again. She's emotionally broken. She doesn't want to go through that again. What teaching does Islam have? If it's such a comprehensive religion as we claim it is, we say it's more than a religion. We say it's a complete way of life prescribed by the creator. If it is, then what consolation does this religion have? What consolation did the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, give to that grieving mother, to that grieving father who's, who has been through that kind of difficulty or misfortune? May God protect us all. Well, Muadh ibn Jabal reported, God's messenger, peace be upon him, said, no Muslim couple will lose three of their children by death without God bringing them into paradise by his great mercy. He was asked if that applied if they lost two children, and he said it did. He was also asked if it applied if they lost only one child, and he said it did. Then he said, by him in whose hand my soul is, by God, I swear by God, the aborted child, meaning the unintentionally aborted child, will pull his mother to paradise by oh. his umbilical cord when she seeks her reward for him from God. Oh. Basam, what does the atheist have? What does the agnostic, show it to me. What does the communist have? What does the Marxist have? What is, even what, is, what does the Christian have? This is a friendly challenge. What do they have that matches this, that can console the grieving mother uh, in the way that Islam can. They are completely impoverished when it comes to this, which is why they cannot address this modern, unique 21st century problem in the way that Islam can. Uh, Khalid al-Absi said, a son of mine died and I felt intense grief over his loss. I said, Abu Huraira, have you heard anything from the Prophet, may Allah bless him and grant him peace, to cheer us up regarding our dead? Abu Huraira replied, I heard the Prophet, may Allah bless him and grant him peace, say, your children are roaming freely in the garden. Your children, your young, innocent infants that you lost, 
they're in paradise, they're in heaven. What would what, what you say to the atheist who, who loses his children, right? This is a serious question, Bassam. I want you to imagine you have a good atheist friend, you have an agnostic friend at work, you have an atheist colleague at work, and they lose their mother. They lose their, their father or one of their siblings. What, what do you say to them? What, what, what can you say to an atheist that applies to their worldview? There's nothing. I mean, tough luck. Yeah, I mean, that's too bad. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad. <laughs> tough luck, right? So look at what Islam provides. Look at how life-affirming and how optimistic the teachings of Islam uh, actually are. Abu Huraira reported that a woman came to the Messenger of Allah with a child. This is all my evidence, Bassam. I'm making it long because I'm providing the evidence for my tall claim, which is that only Islam can incentivize the having of many children to this extent. Abu Huraira reported that a woman came to the Messenger of Allah with a child. She said, pray for him. I've already buried three children that I've lost. I've already buried three dead children. The Prophet said, you have built a strong barrier for yourself against the fire. Right? Oh. This consolation, an atheist cannot give to his wife because the atheist probably doesn't have a wife his atheist girlfriend he cannot give the, he cannot give this consolation to his atheist girlfriend he cannot do this right? uh, a sahabia reported on the authority of her paternal uncle i asked the prophet who are in paradise he replied prophets are in paradise martyrs are in paradise infants are in paradise and children buried alive are in paradise children who have been murdered are in paradise as you know uh, better than me, Bassam, the Prophet, peace be upon him, he wasn't just a preacher. He was a, an actor as well. And he himself lost children. He buried some of his own children with his own hands. In fact, the only one that survived him, of course, was Hazrat Fatima radiallahu anha. One of his children was Ibrahim, young Ibrahim, uh, peace be upon him, who died. Uh, it was narrated when Ibrahim, the son of the Prophet, died. Allah's messenger said, there is a wet nurse for him in paradise. It was narrated that Safwan bin Umayyah said the plague, abdominal illness, drowning, and dying in childbirth are martyrdom. Dying during childbirth are martyrdom. So a woman who dies while giving childbirth is a shahida or a martyr. And finally, Abu Huraira, peace be, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, reported the messenger of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him, said, Verily, Allah Almighty will raise the status of his righteous servants in paradise, and they will say, Oh Lord, what is this? Allah will say, This is due to your child seeking forgiveness for you. So again, this is a timely reminder for young Muslims as well, who are caught up in careerism in the West or wherever they might be, that look, uh, this is my appeal to you, realize now that children uh, uh, cannot replace pets. It's not your dog seeking forgiveness for you uh, in the end. It's not your budgie. It's not your pet rabbit that is seeking forgiveness, that is seeking maghfirah for you. It's your righteous child that you gave proper tarbiyah to, that you gave proper Islamic moral upbringing to. They are the only ones uh, that would be able to seek forgiveness for you after you're dead. Uh, and so uh, in conclusion then, uh, there's, there's no great revival, Bassam, without the great reproduction. There's no great revival without the great reproduction. And so I hope uh, that on some level, this uh, presentation, am I back on the screen now? Yeah, you are. I'm hoping that this uh, uh, presentation, especially for the Muslim audience, uh, 
uh, might uh, it would be thought provoking uh, that it'll get the creative process going. Um, pun intended there, the creative process going. Uh, and the thing is, look, here's the thing, Bassam. This is more of a supplemental argument that I would use uh, in dawah work. I'm not suggesting uh, that a non-Muslim should become Muslim because it's going to help them have a bigger family. Uh, that wouldn't be my first go-to argument. But I do think that this is a very interesting supplemental argument for the truth and the comprehensiveness of Islam. Why? Because if Muslims are making this tall claim that we make, that Islam is more than a religion, it's not just telling you how to uh, pray when you're in a house of worship on Friday afternoon. No, no, no. It's a complete comprehensive way of life from the creator for the human being. Then it should include a mechanism within it through which God incentivizes the creation and propagation of more human beings, especially at a time now when we're going to be challenged globally by declining uh, birth rates. So I think this is a very interesting supplemental argument. Uh, for Muslims and for non-Muslims to consider, right? And, and then finally, um, you see, even if you're not convinced uh, by Islam, by the other primary arguments for Islam, let's say, I, I say to that person, Basam, keep your ideology and your worldview. Lakum dinukum waliyadin. You're Christian, wonderful. Remain Christian if you like. Remain Buddhist. Uh, uh, you want to be a feminist, uh, a liberal humanist, atheist, whatever you want to be, wonderful, fine. It doesn't bother me. But you better have a fertility plan. Yeah. You better have a fertility plan because if you don't have a fertility plan, then your values are not going to propagate. For every Muslim that you might convince to become an atheist, there's hundreds of other Muslims being born to religious families. You're going to lose this game in the end, right? Uh, so you better have a fertility plan. And what I find very ironic, I'll end with these two points, Basam. Two points that I find very ironic is that Islam is the only solution for the white nationalist. You see, if I was some kind of ultra right wing white nationalist, white supremacist that is concerned uh, about declining white birth rates. And by the way, let me clarify, I don't believe you have to be a bigot or a racist to be concerned about the propagation of, 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 of white people. I, I think uh, we're all entitled to want to propagate our families, our tribe and, and ultimately even our race. I, I'm not suggesting that. But if I was some kind of white supremacist, I really hated brown immigrants. I really hated black, Af uh, you know, African immigrants. Um, Islam, ironically, is the only solution on the horizon. I can't think of anything else. Present me with what you have. So ironically, the white man is Islam's uh, last hope. This is yet another reason for why right-wingers <laughs> and xenophobes should consider Islam, because they're starting to consider it, and they're starting to think about this, right? This trend has started with Andrew yeah, Tate, yeah, yeah. but it's not going to end with Andrew Tate. So this is a very ironic reason that, well, um, the only thing that will protect me from brown and black Muslim immigrants is Islam. <laughs> now, someone might say, well, do we want this white nationalist to inject his white racism into Islam? Well, Islam has the solution for racism as well. That's a whole different presentation. Yeah. And then the, the, the final point that I find ironic, Bassam, is that I think people of uh, your age and my age, with respect, will remember this, will recall this. When I asked younger people, they didn't remember this particular um, slur against Islam. But in the wake of the 9-11 attack, September 11th, 2001, you might recall one of the very common cliched slurs uh, on the internet against Islam and Muslims was uh, that, that, uh, that they're a death cult. Mm. Is, is, have you heard this one, Bassam? I, I, don't think I, can, I don't think I remember that in particular. Death cult? Probably not. 
Dude, you're in apologetics and you never heard this one. But anyhow, I, I got maybe I'm apologetics in 2005. So, okay, okay, uh, you okay. Know, so yeah, um, yeah. Well, that, maybe... that's what I'm saying. It was it, this was popularized very much around that time because okay. you know 9/11 was a suicide attack, okay, and yeah, there's yeah. other suicide bombers that have uh, you know uh, that have happened since then. So, like, Islam is not a religion. You know, it's not a religion. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. a death cult. Um, but isn't it ironic that it's only this so-called death cult that has the antidote for antinatalism? Uh, which has the antidote for declining birth rates, that is our best chance for the successful survival and propagation of the human race. We, mm. How did the death cult become so life-affirming? You see what I mean? Mm. And on a note of confidence, Bassam, uh, this is one of the, the, the points I try to share with young Muslims is, is that um, a lot of the allegations, not all of them, but a lot of the allegations that non-Muslims will throw at Islam, rather than always being on the defensive, we can always we can oftentimes spin that around, you know. So when I first I felt slightly demoralized when I first heard people saying that, well, Islam's not the fastest growing religion because everybody's converting to Islam like Andrew Tate. It's just the fastest growing religion because you guys are like reproducing like cockroaches and this and that. Yeah. Rather than being defensive. Right. We, we can actually ask the question, well, what makes Muslims so positive? What makes Muslims so life affirming? What is it about our religion that makes us so optimistic that we would want to have large families and many children, even in the modern era? And the only answer is like, it is the religion itself. Yeah. It is the teachings that are contained within the religion itself, which Bassam, I believe is, you know, if we were going to title this, uh, this YouTube video differently, it could have been Islam, the final hope for the white man. Islam, the final <laughs> hope for South Korea. Islam, the final hope for the final hope for humanity. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika shadu Allah ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa tubu ilaik. Thanks for your patience, Basam. No, no. Barakallahu fikum, Nehi, for that. You know, as you were speaking, I was actually trying to think about what the title should be for this for this session. I think you 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 gave the you you gave the you gave the right one right there. Zakallah khair for this very beneficial and you know motivating presentation. But you know, I think if people are really motivated, they should name one of their sons Sadat. They ain't just yeah, out of, yeah. uh, that's a joke. Name, name him Muhammad, inshallah. Yeah. Inshallah, yeah, yeah. We'll add to the we'll add to the already growing 150 million strong, inshallah. And that's uh, after China doesn't allow them in Xinjiang as well, too, right? They don't allow them to name their kids Muhammad in mm, Xinjiang province. I mean Sadat, I mean, what if someone argues that other religions such as Christianity, you know, offer similar cures to the population decline problem by stressing on marriage and, and having children. I mean, you're there in Canada. Uh, you're familiar with the, with the discourse, social discourse wars uh, in the West. Evangelicals, people on the far right, they stress these issues as well. In fact, a Roman Catholic who believes that contraception is forbidden might even argue that his faith stresses the importance of having children even more than his. So, you know, what would you say in response to that? Yeah, I actually think it's a good point. And I, I would even be willing to partially concede that that might be the case. Uh, I, I, I don't really doubt, actually, that, you know, more traditional white evangelical Christians are, are likely to have uh, more children than, than people who just stay on the dating scene forever. Yeah. Uh, and they have boy friends and girlfriends, even when they're in their 50s. You know, we recently had to come up with new terms like partners, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I'd be willing to partially concede that. However, again, uh, I presented all of the evidence, uh, Bassam. 
all of those ahadith, show me what matches that in the Bible. Mm. Show me what matches that in the Buddhist scriptures or in the Hindu scriptures. I don't believe that there is anything like that. Moreover, I think that there are deeper rooted issues in some of these other religions uh, like uh, Buddhism and Christianity, which I believe actually take a pessimistic view of, of the world itself and of life itself. Like life is in Buddhism, li li life is just about suffering. The whole point is to escape this suffering. So why would you want to bring uh, 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 new people uh, into that suffering when the whole point is to uh, escape? Uh, Buddhism has a history of celibate uh, uh, priests. Islam does not, right? Like mainstream Islam does and has never had that. Um, and, and, and again, with Christianity, uh, I would acknowledge, I know in Genesis it says be fruitful and multiply, but modern day Christians pay as much attention to that as they do to the prohibition on pork. Uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, again, it's very much debated. When, when, when you reference evangelical Christians, this is not, uh, this is not the majority uh, of, of Europeans. It's not even the majority of Christians in Western Europe or in North America in, in total, in general. Uh, so these are some of the issues. These are some of the problems. Moreover, uh, I do believe that there are um, what I would call anti-natalistic verses uh, in the Bible. Because uh, be fruitful and multiply is in Genesis. Remember, that's the Old Testament. That has been, to borrow a bit of language from our Islamic tradition, you know, uh, uh, abrogated, you know, uh, mm. by the abrogating text of the New Testament, which is the final word. That's the final word of God. Right? That's the final covenant. And in that, what we find is, for example, in First Corinthians uh, chapter seven, verses thirty-two to thirty-eight, um, uh, um, Paul writes, "I want you to be free from anxieties." The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Here, anxious, he's using it in a, in a positive sense. He's concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious and concerned about worldly things, mm. how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. Yeah. As you know, Bassam, this division doesn't exist in the same way in Islam. In yeah. Islam, lifting up a morsel of food to feed your wife, that, yeah. that is part of your ibadah. Or if not ibadah, but it, it's a uh, rewardable act. Yeah. Right. Uh, time that you spend to the extent that the sexual act itself, this might be too much for non-Muslims to handle. This might just be too much. Right. But the sexual act itself between husband and wife can be viewed even as a form of charity. Even that can be a form of sadaqah. Even that's rewardable. Right. So this kind of, of positive uh, sex affirming and life affirming view, I do not believe that you will find it in, in Christianity. So just to continue, I'm sorry. Um, the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. In other words, it's not haram. Yeah. Paul is saying it's not haram yeah. to get married. I don't want to put that restraint on you, but I want to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So then he who marries his betrothed or engaged does well. Here's, here's the key. But he who refrains from marriage mm. will do even better. Yeah, so it's like a sunnah. So it's kind of mustahab. It's recommended. Mustahab, recommended. Yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, well, in, in, well, it's, well, not haram. Us, it's not haram. It's the complete opposite. You know, it's permissible not to get married on the strict condition that you do not fall into haram. Good luck with that. Uh, but it is strongly recommended uh, to get married. And it could be compulsory to get married if that is the only way for you to avoid falling into haram. But the exactly. attitude and that I, you're yeah. relaying from, from Paul 
appears to be that, you know, it's uh, a sunnah uh, that one could exactly. strive to, 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 to actualize uh, in his yeah. life uh, if, he, if, if, he, if, he could, if he's so able to. Yeah, so there, there is a different... Um, yeah, and, 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 and again, and I'm I, you know, to I did bring up the Catholic point earlier, and I, you know, just thinking about it, uh, because I did write, you know, a paper on, on this like six months ago, and it seems that, you know, Catholics... Uh, you know, they, they would forbid artificial um, contraception uh -huh, yes. uh, or right. contraceptive measures, right. right? But, you know, natural ones, like, you know, timing it right and, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, no, they're, they're all for it. So I guess that's why we're not seeing, you know, all these Catholics with like eight, nine yeah. children. Um, and, so. and exactly. And, and, and practically speaking, it, practically speaking, it, I just don't see Catholicism as the viable option right now because it's, it's a case of been there, done that for Western Europe. And mm -hmm. they will only have conviction in the teachings and the pronouncements of the church and the Pope if they first have conviction and trust in the Bible itself and in Christianity mm -hmm. itself. And, and, and that doesn't seem to be the case. So even if theoretically, uh, like a real hard, a ban on all forms of contraception, including natural contraception, even if uh, uh, granted that would be more effective in producing more children, um, that, 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 that just does not appear to be a viable option at all in any way. And then there's also the question of whether that is in some way violating the sexual autonomy of individuals and certain questions like that. If I may just share two more very quick quotes, they're both from Corinthians. These are shorter ones sure, sure. Um, from the same chapter seven, verses 26 to 28, first Corinthians. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Wow. I want to spare you this. Wow. And earlier on in 1 Corinthians, I don't know why I'm working backwards. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 to 9. Um, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So when, when you use that word sunnah, Basam, uh, uh, th that is what Paul is alluding to. I, I, like, look at me. This is my example. This is my sunnah. It would be better, not, 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 uh, not uh, uh, obligatory, but it would be better to stay unmarried as I do, right? Um, so uh, th this I see as antinatalistic because if it's anti-marriage, well, then it's kind of uh, anti-natalistic as well. Um, and, and, and look, just the larger picture here, Bassam, is at the end of the day, Christianity does have a history of celibacy. Mainstream Christianity has that history. Islam does not. What do you think is the more effective and viable uh, option? And, you know, on a, I mean, I'm digressing. I'm just trying to insert a little bit of humor here for fun. Uh, but but, but Bassam, you know, even logically, it just it, it doesn't make sense. Theoretically, in theory, in theory, the, the Catholic priests should be the best men of that community in theory. And the Catholic nuns should be the best women of that community. If the best men, you see where I'm going with this, yeah. if the best men and the best women are not producing families and children. Who's producing the children? Is it the worst of the people? So on every level, Islam is more logical, makes more sense. Exactly. Yeah. And how can they even serve as role models to show you how you how, how to live a you know a, a proper marriage? Yeah. Life? I mean, I, I digress slightly here, but exactly wh why would I go to my Catholic priest for marriage advice? Exactly. You can't relate to or, me. You can't relate. Yeah. It's all yeah. theoretical. Yeah. He can give me some passages it, from it, the Bible fact, that might be helpful. In fact, many, many of us, many of us tend to tend to tell others, look, if you're not married, <laughs> zip zip it, right? Yeah, um, so and so, uh, you'll yeah. spare me if you don't have kids. They'll tell me how to raise my kids. And exactly. So uh, sisters, yeah. don't 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 go to Oprah Winfrey, please. You, you're and, you're not you're not going to get you know any uh, practical advice from that. Whereas if you go to the imam and to give credit where it's due, if the Orthodox Jew were to go to his rabbi, the response is, yeah, man, I hear you. You know, I, I hear you. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, so uh, 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 just a very last point, Basam, is that remember if we go further back in Genesis itself. 
childbirth itself is not exactly seen as a blessing, right? Like in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God mm. says unto the woman, unto Eve, mm. he said, mm. I will greatly the multiply thy sorrow mm. uh, and thy conception. So even the pains and the pangs of childbirth are God's response or punishment to Eve sinning first, according to the biblical narrative, of course, not the Quranic narrative. I mean, look, you know, there are several people out there, you know, know, who are genuinely concerned with the idea of overpopulation because our planet's resources are argued or said to be scarce. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, so I have some, uh, I have a bit of data on that. For example, um, uh, w- I mean, when they say that that the world is overpopulated, um, uh, and, and even if it's stretching it a bit in the next few decades, the point is it's going to start declining around 2080 or the year 2100. So the reverse problem is coming very soon, and there's mm-hmm. no solution in sight. There's mm-hmm. no economic incentive or solution in sight. Islam is the only viable uh, solution for this. But, but even at the moment, even as we speak, Basam, like one third of the world's food is thrown away. Mm. Like we really got to think about that. One third of the world's food is thrown away. And this happens in all countries, including poor countries. So it comes back to what? It comes back to mismanagement, right? Yeah. Mismanagement by governments, by producers, by farmers. Mm. Uh, a United Nations study in 2021 estimated that global food waste was nearly 1,000 million tons of food waste. Oh, man. Oh, man. Overconsumption. Um, Overconsumption. Overconsumption, but also over waste, over exploitation, more than overpopulation, over exploitation. And this happens at all levels. Like it happens, you know, on the production level, on the post-production, on the packaging level, things that are packaged incorrectly get infested by vermin or they go off sooner uh, in the distribution and the transportation. Big retail, Basam, listen, man, here in Canada, when you walk into No Frills, for people who don't know No Frills, a big grocery store uh, or Walmart, right? Um, you, you think they sell all that food? All of those oranges get sold? All of those bananas get sold? All of that gets eaten by human beings? Absolutely not, right? A lot of that gets thrown out. And Rather than us becoming like, rather than us despairing about this, now here's where I want to make it more personal, right? Do you know? Do you know on what level the largest amount of food wastage occurs, Bassam? It's us, man. It's us. It's the consumer. It's you and me. You know, it's you and me. Think about how much food gets thrown out from the fridge. We have to learn the difference be- between best before dates and yeah. uh, uh, expiry dates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- there's a difference, right? Um, I don't want anyone to take this as, as advice. I don't want to hold blogging theology responsible. I eat expired food all the time, man. It, it, you know, it marinates. It's fine. But okay, okay, don't do that. But best before date doesn't mean it's expired. It, you know, it, it's just not like as as fresh or as well preserved. But it's not something that will get you sick. So, so literacy, basic food literacy, we have to learn this kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and if I may make an appeal, you know, especially to the brothers, I, I, I'm allowed to be a little bit harsher on the brothers being being a, a male myself. Look, man, when we go out for dinner and stuff, we're, we're not interested in salad, Bassam. We're not eating salad. You don't strike me as a salad, man, Bassam. When I look at you. You, lo- you look like a lamb chops, man. Yeah, you look like yeah. a beefsteak, man. You look like you want some chicken. My point is, mm. when we go to restaurants that we've already uh, frequented before, what is so difficult? What's the harm in asking the waitress or the server to say, uh, just hold back on the salad. Uh, don't serve the salad. 
or give me half the rice, right? Uh, what is it about, uh, you know, I've heard in some of the Gulf states, people just throwing out food, like plates of, plates of rice that would feed maybe uh, an entire family in Bangladesh. What made us so proud? Uh, when our prophet, peace be upon him, when he would finish eating, Aisha said that it looked as if the plate had been cleaned. It looked like the plate had been cleaned. Licking your fingers is not some primitive thing. It's a sunnah. It's the sunnah to not waste food. So what made us so proud that we can't even package uh, that leftover food at the restaurant uh, in, I mean, I hate the term, but in a doggy bag to take home. I'm going to give the brothers a tip. Listen, that food tastes better the next day. It tastes better the next day. Put it in the fridge. It marinates all night. And the next afternoon when you open the fridge looking for some food, oh, I got that leftover lamb chop and some of that rice. It tastes even better. You'll taste the baraka in it the next day. So the change has to start with us, Bassam. Absolutely. Not, not overpopulation, uh, you know, exactly, over yeah. exploitation. And, and the thing is, listen to this, you know, um, here too Islam has the answers, you know. Here too Islam has the answers. In the Quran, A'udhu Billahi Rajim, Ya Bani Adama, Eat, enjoy life. Eat and drink. Don't be extravagant. Don't waste. You know, don't, don't, don't do that, right? Um, so, uh, I, I mean, th this, is just, this is just addressing one of the main concerns of people who are concerned about overpopulation, which is the food uh, scarcity. And no, we, we have enough food to feed everybody. Uh, but we have to change uh, the, the way we think and the way we operate. And I believe human beings, inshallah, are, are smart enough to do that. What happens to our faith in science when it comes to this issue? What, what, how come now secular non-religious people, they suddenly become disbelievers and do kufr yeah. of their belief in scientism? No, I have more faith that through science and through technology, we will do a better job. Inshallah. Absolutely, absolutely. You, 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 you spoke, uh, you know, you, you alluded to uh, antinatalism, uh, you know, a number of times. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on it as, you know, as an actual philosophy. Yeah. And the reason I didn't necessarily make that part of my for formal presentation is because I think there's very few people out there that say uh, I'm an antinatalist. I subscribe to antinatalism. But, but that trend of thought, without them knowing it, that trend so, of so thought for me... So an antinatalist is someone who, out of principle, would say, I do not want to have kids. Yeah, that, that is, that's a great definition. And while people might not formally subscribe to that philosophy, what I'm saying is uh, th they do unconsciously think like that. And that kind of thought permeates, you know, people's minds, um, uh, which is exactly as you said. Like, I mean, uh, you know, listen, even, even, you know, when I had my son, I, I remember looking at him. He looked so innocent and small. And I thought, like, like what have I done? Right. What, what have I done? I brought him into this world. Right. He's going to encounter difficult times and suffering. But again, Islam immediately is the antidote for that, because I reminded myself, I checked myself through our Akita, through our teachings that, well, Sadat, actually, you didn't bring him into this world. Right. It's God that wills a soul into existence. And that then motivated me to make dua to Allah and say, Allah, you brought this soul into existence. You brought him into existence. I entrust him to your care. You take care of him. You provide good for him. Right. Um, so um, but yes, uh, and in terms of antinatalism as a formal philosophy, um, apparently it's, it's best articulated by a gentleman named David Benatar. Hmm. David Benatar, B-E-N-A-T-A-R. Uh, and he wrote kind of like, you know, the main source textbook on this, which is better never to have been. Better never to have been. The harm of coming into existence. He wrote that in 2006. And he, yeah, exactly as you said, he says that 
giving birth is like it's not just an inconvenient thing uh it's morally wrong mm. it's morally wrong to give birth um and he gives some interesting reasons for that he says you know by giving birth you are bringing evil into existence because evil doesn't exist in non-existence uh it exists in existing sentient beings this person will grow up and commit evil acts of course there's simple counter arguments to that but um uh also it's not just the consideration of the suffering of those children but all of the descendants of that children as well too mm. right you don't know how they're going to die what difficulties mm. uh, and and tribulations they're going to go through mm. um you, you are not just uh nominating this child that you brought into existence for suffering that they didn't ask for you're also uh nominating other people to suffer why because mm. your child at some point will break someone's heart mm. will hurt someone's feelings will violate someone's rights might punch somebody in a fight that person didn't consent to all of that this is all your fault for bringing that child uh into the world uh they would say that having children is always a selfish act obviously there is enjoyment in the sexual act and so perhaps uh many children are not consciously planned or at least not in the moment um uh there's no defense against being created these are all arguments that david benatar uh puts forward the really interesting one though just to to summarize it the, the one that's really interesting uh, basam is um that you have not obtained the consent of this child that you brought into the world. Yeah. I find that interesting. I know we would laugh it off, but I find it interesting because I do think this is the logical conclusion of of liberalism, you know. If I mean if we're at the point now where um Islamophobes are saying that Muslims and Jews are child abusers because I had my baby boy circumcised. I couldn't obtain his consent. He 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 did seem to object a little bit. There there was some crying, right? I they would say i mutilated his body for life i'm a child abuser i didn't I, I obtain his consent well I, i think this is the liberal i think this is the logical conclusion of liberalism no, some are even saying don't don't assign a gender and let 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 your kid grow up and then he could decide for yeah. or she yeah, yeah. For herself. But, but 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 i think this go i i think but i think this is the logical conclusion why not go all the way back i mean who who he didn't ask to be brought into existence of course it's a circular problem because if they don't exist how do you obtain their consent yeah, but yeah. uh so i uh, You know what's scary Basam? Let me tell you this. You know what's scary? A lot of these arguments kind of make sense if you don't have a religious world view. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a spiritual world, if you don't have the Islamic yeah, paradigm you guiding can't you, you can definitively dismiss it offhand r- rationally, purely on rational grounds. No, because on an atheistic or on any non-religious world view, I'm not exactly sure why I exist or why yeah. I should exist, let alone why I should bring three more children into existence. So that's the scary thing. A lot of these arguments on a purely secular, uh, don't misunderstand me, but on a purely secular yeah. paradigm, yeah. They're, they're actually... Yeah, they're, they're not outrageous. So, they're not outrageous. They're not outrageous. They're, they're so getting published in peer-reviewed the, journals. <laughs> exactly. So so the, now again, on a dawah note, Basam, what defense does the Western European have against this? What defense does the South Korean have? What defense does Eastern Europe have? I'm telling you, the defense is the Quran and the Hadith, the teachings of our religion. That that is that is the only viable solution on the horizon. Oh. I mean, some people argue that you know having fewer people on Earth would be good for climate change and 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 you know preservation and of animals. And yeah, and I'm sure as you're well, we're aware it's all about sustainability and climate change. Uh, you know, these days all corporations are striving to like, uh, you know, um, uh, amend their policies. Uh, you know, towards uh, you know, attaining certain certain goals. So, you know, they'll, but they'll say a lot of these advocates would say that you know having fewer people would be good. 
would be good for the environment, would be good for climate change. How would you respond to that? Because at the same yeah, time, yeah. Well, Islam well, does say you got to look after the environment, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, well, we could start with that since you brought that up. That again, Islam. If we were just to act on it, if we were just to implement it, that that's the challenge. Islam itself has the solutions for these problems. So you know the hadith about how there was a man using a lot of water to do his ablutions, to do his wudu, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, and and the Prophet peace be upon him checked him, and and he said, "Is there extravagance? Is there wastage even in doing ablution?" In other words, I'm doing an act of worship. Like this is a good thing. Does that count as wastage? Prophet peace be upon him said, "Even if you're at the bank of a of a running river, you know, you just use the amount that you have to use. It's a mentality." Think about it. It's a mentality he's trying to put in us. So uh, using less water, right? Um, using uh, less electricity. There's so many things that we can change. Um, I'll, I'll quote because I, I know you're big on the references and, and, and all that. So uh, Dr. Anu uh, Ramaswamy, who is a professor of civil and environmental engineering at Princeton University. She said, fixating, being, being fixated on population decrease does not make much of a difference. Uh, she and other experts say, the main problem, and you're right, there is ikhtilaf. I mean, I'm not denying. Yeah, yeah, there are debates, definitely, right? Uh, but the experts who are on the side of saying that overpopulation is not a problem, they would say it's not overpopulation. It's burning fossil fuels is the problem. Burning fossil fuels is the problem. So again, as we switch to uh, more electricity, electric cars, uh, solar-powered cars, hopefully, uh, I believe, actually, maybe I have more faith in science that science will... If we implement it properly, if we research in the proper directions, science will solve many of the problems that science may have created uh, in the first place. And, and there's, there's a lot that can be said on this, Basam. Urban planning, the way our cities are designed. Mm -hmm. You've come to Oakville. You, 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 can't, you, can't buy, you can't buy a carton of milk without getting into a car. You know that in Oakville. It's very difficult, right? So my point is for those who are unversed in this, you know, a lot of North American suburbs are designed really, really bad. You know what I mean? Um, uh, similarly with overheating the climate, um, I had a slide, I don't know if I'll be able to pull that out now, but even the form of the lighting, lighting that points up, uh, versus lighting that points down, there's a lot that can be done to reduce, uh, uh our waste, our carbon emissions, uh, and things like that. And, and now as far as the animals go, um, now again, don't misunderstand me. Yes, we should preserve animal habitats. We can develop, uh, without, uh, you know, uh, harming them to the degree that we have. Um, but you know what, again, it goes back to kind of initial assumptions, right? Um, if, if we are not a special creation, if we human beings are not a special creation that deserve to exist, uh, or that should be propagating, how did the squirrel suddenly become worth saving? Just mm. think about that for a minute. Mm. Uh, how did the rabbit or the cow suddenly become worth saving? Shouldn't it be survival of the strongest or the smartest, right? Uh, I'm not actually arguing that, but I'm playing devil's advocate and saying that mm. just on an atheistic evolutionary uh, point of view, like what would be the problem with that? Species die out all the time. That's bound to happen. And from a humanistic point of view, uh, if there's less animals, if there's a greater human population, their habitats are supposedly decreasing or they, they, should be, they should continue to decrease. There'll be less animals on the earth. Doesn't that translate into less animal suffering then? Is that not a good thing? There's mm. less animals. There's less animal suffering. Think about it. There's no old age homes for sick squirrels. There's no old age homes for sick cows. There's no, there's no cancer treatment for, for old cows who have uh, old horses who have cancer. They die slow, miserable deaths sometimes. Uh, sometimes in nature. So they would have to explain why all of that is worth preserving. 
on a non-religious atheistic worldview, all of that is difficult, in fact, impossible to do, Basan. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Zakhar uh, you know, before we bring this to a close, I mean, are there any final words you'd like to leave leave our listeners with? I think I accidentally already shared my final words in my okay. conclusion. Um, but just on a note of confidence, um, you see, the, well, here's what I'll say. The whole reason I kind of got interested in this topic in the first place mm. is because of me hearing this slur uh, from non-Muslims uh, that, you know, Islam is only growing fast because you make a lot of babies and they're reproducing like cockroaches. They're producing like this. Uh, and I really believe Muslims or, have to or, be more so, sorry, so, but, or, or as someone called it, breeding jihad. Uh, I saw that hashtag. Breeding was. jihad, yeah. <laughs> so I, I really think I'm a big believer, Bassam, that instead of being instead of being defensive as our initial reaction, uh, we can we can we can spin this around, you know, so fast and say, yeah, hey, why? Uh, what are you going to do? But how come you can't do it? We can do it. How come you? What's stopping you? Think about that. Let's get to the roots of the problem. And you know, we can insert and introduce Islam in this way. And and we can do this with many many issues, right? Whether it's gender issues, whether it's jihad, uh, you know. Um, you know, well, you guys only spread because, you know, you conquered all these lands, invaded all these lands. Um, rather uh, rather than being defensive immediately, I mean, how about trying? Yeah, we, we were pretty good fighters, weren't we? Come to think about it. Mm. How did that happen? How did a small band of Muslims conquer half of the Byzantine Empire, uh, eventually the entire Byzantine Empire, Persia, North yeah. Africa? How did that happen? Now, now, take what I'm saying with a pinch of salt, of course. You know me. We, of course, we want to clarify that the the faith of islam the conviction of islam is not forced on the people but islam the empire spread through military might i don't have to apologize for that um so be confident young muslims uh and uh, uh i think i'll i'll leave it at that great that's a good great uh note to end on sadat i really appreciate it i really uh, you know genuinely enjoyed uh your presentation today and i'm sure our listeners will you know benefit greatly from it as well and with that, I want to part you and our listeners with the Islamic greetings of Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi.